This Wellness Couch podcast proudly brought to you by the Nourish Me Organics Gut Health Gurus podcast hosted by food scientist Kribben Govinda. If you're fascinated by all things gut health, the microbiome, fermented foods, mental health, mitochondrial health and more, then search for the Nourish Me Organics Gut Health Gurus podcast on your favorite podcast app and get listening. The Real Food Real is proudly sponsored by Melrose Health. Founded in 1979, Melrose Health has been delivering improved health over three decades by developing natural, delicious and innovative health foods from the best natural and organic ingredients. Their healthy kitchen oils range has just launched and includes my favourites, liquid coconut oil, grass-fed ghee and avocado oil. Visit melrosehealth.com.au or check out at Melrose Health on Instagram to learn more. Welcome to The Real Food Real. I'm Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist. We're shaking things up on the podcast and each week I am joined by our cast of experts, including Kirsty Worth, Phil Maffetone, Kale Brock, Ali McLean, Katie Pettuccini and so many more leaders in the fields of real food, gut health, sports performance, holistic wellness and optimising your health, metabolism and longevity. While you're tuning in to today's episode, would you take a screenshot of your smartphone and share it on social media with the hashtag RealFoodReal? I'd absolutely love to know that you're tuning in. And while you're there, why not share this episode with a friend who also needs to hear our information goldmines and aha moments. Sharing the show means we can continue our mission of simplifying nutrition and showing the world that health starts with what you choose to put on your plate. Without further ado, let's dive into this week's episode of The Real Food Real. In today's episode of The Real Food Real, Ellie and I discuss adrenal hormonal profiling and how getting to know your adrenals could be the missing piece to your health puzzle. We explore the benefits of cortisol and what a normal adrenal function graph should look like and why we don't use the term adrenal fatigue. We discuss the impact of stress and what happens if we burn the candle at both ends for too long. You will learn how to test your cortisol levels, what is a cortisol pouch, and the symptoms, causes, and treatments for both high and low cortisol. So a couple of weeks ago on the show, we had a really interesting discussion on hormone profiling, and a lot of the discussion was based around female sex hormones. We got some great feedback and lots of interest But in that discussion, Steph and I did start talking about stress hormones and the benefit of doing um, that hormonal profiling alongside sex hormone profiling. So in today's discussion, we're going to do that. We're going to dive into the discussion around cortisol in particular. What are some of the signs of cortisol dysregulation and what can you start to do about it? Very relevant conversation given you and I have probably been through our our own ups and downs when it comes to cortisol levels and regulation. Yeah, I don't think we're alone either. I think it's a reflection of today's society. You know, we know that cortisol is an important or plays a very important role when it's in balance, but that's the um that's what we're all trying to achieve. And unfortunately we are seeing, you know, lots of high cortisol and that more chronic low cortisol picture 
if um, intervention is not, um, I guess, interrupting that initial high cortisol. Yeah. And look, cortisol is, is not a bad thing. Like mm. you just said, um, I think this, this term that's often used is, is adrenal fatigue. I don't use it. And I know you don't mm. use it, but it suggests that cortisol isn't productive. You know, we don't actually want cortisol, but we do. You know, we need cortisol to, to give us that get up and go, to mm-hmm. help us get out of bed, to help us work under pressure. And from an evolutionary perspective, we needed that cortisol to help us, you know, run from the saber-toothed tiger or, or fight that tribe member who wanted to, to take our breakfast, mm-hmm. for example, but you get the gist. So from an evolutionary perspective and even this day and age, there's a benefit to cortisol. It's just when the production becomes um, dysregulated where we, where we get the problems. Yeah, absolutely. Very important to clarify that for sure. But what we're seeing in this day and age with, you know, the whole sort of burning the candle at both ends type approach, you know, not prioritising sleep, doing exercise of, you know, too much high intensity, drinking too much coffee, eating a standard Western diet. Like there are lots of reasons why we start to overproduce cortisol to to compensate. And these poor little adrenal glands that live on our kidneys, um, they have to really try to keep up with the lifestyle that we're living. And to do so, you know, their first sort of default is to start producing more cortisol in that stress type picture. Yeah, it's such a real issue in this day and age, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Because it's not just about whether you psychologically feel stressed, which is going to determine whether or not you've got excess amounts of cortisol being produced. I, I, when I'm talking to my clients about their, their stress levels, quote unquote, it's, it's more, do you feel like you're in a state of high alert throughout the course mm. of the day? You know, are you feeling on edge when you're in the car and you're potentially a minute late? Are you feeling on edge when you've got 10 answered, unanswered emails in your inbox? Are you feeling on edge when you've got to get one, one child to soccer practice and the other child to netball practice and there's five minutes difference between the start times? It's all of that that's going to contribute to the overproduction of cortisol. So not even necessarily just the psychological state of stress, but just physically do you feel like you're in that state of high alert throughout the course of the day, which yeah. I would say most people are. Yes, I think it's, it's again, a reflection of what we've got to or we try to achieve in one day and they're burning the candle at, the both, at both ends. You know, my story is that I was definitely guilty of that. It's many years ago now. It would be probably coming up to seven years now where I was definitely working too much and working late at night and not prioritizing things like restful sleep. And as basic as it sounds, you you need to be able to create balance in your life. Otherwise your body will look for another way. And unfortunately that is why we're seeing this stress picture and, and the flow and effect to what it creates. You know, we spoke last week about what that does to our reproductive hormones and our menstrual cycle and, and that's really what's going on. Yet when you go to your nutritionist and they talk to you about stress management, you know, you, we're used to having that face pulled us like, <laughs> why are we talking about stress yeah, management? Yeah. I'm here to talk about food. But it is so important that we include that in our health and wellness goals. Mm. Well, when I first did, when I first did adrenal hormonal profiling, mm. it was actually something that was instigated by my running coach some of you may know, Katie Fettuccini, mm-hmm. was instigated by her because of my heart rate data. Right. So, I do recall that. Yeah. yeah. So my, my heart rate was, 
you know, unexpectedly high um, for training sessions where it otherwise shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about it and I wasn't sleeping well and I was personally going through a, a really stressful period of my life. Um, but, but that's, you know, that's why these amazing holistic conversations are so great to be having. Um, like, you know, get a good team around you, people that are going to look at the whole picture. I love that. So let's talk about an adrenal function graph. So what we're trying to see with this picture, because remember, it's not like we're trying to eliminate cortisol altogether. So we know that it's essentially a daytime hormone, yeah? So in that, within that half an hour of waking, we want these really beautiful, high, normal cortisol levels that, as you mentioned before, gives us that drive to get out of bed and that motivation to get going. So that's when we're looking at a, a salivary sample that's taken at that 6 to 8 a.m. window, that's where we want to see a really nice high, normal level of cortisol in the saliva. Yeah, a normal high. A nice normal high, yeah, not an sure. excessively high. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then what do we see over the course of the day? Yeah. So just to recap, what we're doing when, we, when we're testing the salivary cortisol levels is, it, is those four times of the day. So it's 6 to 8 a.m. And then we're doing midday, 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. And the reason why you do a saliva test, as we discussed, is because you're not going to go to the doctor four times in one day to have your blood drawn, obviously. So you're doing it at home and... The next sample is that midday where it's still a daytime measurement. So we're wanting to still have a really nice moderate level of cortisol to support our energy levels, but it's not as high as, or it shouldn't be as high as that 6 to 8 a.m. reading. Now, this morning section is important to talk about because it's where a lot of us put our caffeine. Um, And caffeine is going to naturally increase our cortisol levels And the excessive consumption of caffeine can create that overproduction of cortisol that we often see when an adrenal graph is dysfunctional, Mm -hmm. essentially. So one of the little tricks, um, I'm probably jumping ahead here, one of the little tricks is to just understand when it's best for you to put that caffeine so not on top of already high cortisol, essentially. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In cases, and we might be jumping ahead a little bit, but oh, oh well, here we are. Um, in cases of, of high cortisol, I do tend to suggest trying to avoid having that coffee in the first few hours mm-hmm. of the day. So allowing your adrenal glands to naturally do their own thing and start to recalibrate. How much do people love hearing that advice? <laughs> oh my God, I know. The, it's like the last thing people want to let go of. Remember the first time I told Ian he should wait to have his first coffee at 10am? I think there was nearly a divorce on the cards, you know. <laughs> it's, it's later in the day, obviously, for a lot of us. Yes, mm. but you know, the more you struggle to get rid of that coffee first thing in the morning, the bigger the sign that you you're really reliant on it to give you that get up and go for sure for sure so naturally elevated morning reading Mm -hmm. we still want to see relatively high levels in that midday reading and then what happens in the back end of the day yeah for sure so the next readings um are 6 p.m and that's where it's starting to be like a sunset kind of picture so we know that cortisol is inverse to melatonin. So by about 6 p.m., we're seeing those cortisol levels come down to a nice low normal um, because we're wanting to be producing melatonin as we start to prepare for the evening component of the day. So we've gone from, you know, nice and high but still normal to moderate to, to low normal and then that last reading at, you know, that bedtime 10 p.m. or slightly earlier is where we want it to be the lowest because we're wanting lots of melatonin 
at that time, um, but we're still not expecting a cortisol of zero, ideally. We still just need a little bit in the background. A little bit there, mm-hmm. yeah. And this is where I start to have a concern with the use of melatonin um, supplementally without having done profiling. Mm-hmm. You know, you throw in uh, melatonin to, you know, potentially to support somebody's quality of sleep because you can hypothesize that they're not producing enough melatonin. So that's what's getting in the way of their sleep. But for me, I, I just think I would love to actually see what cortisol levels are doing mm. before diving in with uh, a supplemental form of melatonin. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I don't prescribe melatonin. I don't sort of, um, like, I don't take my clients off it if they've been prescribed mm. elsewhere um, because we need to look at the whole symptom picture. I don't prescribe it because usually there are other sort of more foundational things that need to be addressed first and everyone knows I have a sort of step change change approach to building the house per se. But, um, yeah, I think definitely looking at what the cortisol levels are doing because if you're having trouble sleeping and you've got high cortisol, then that's what needs to be addressed. We also know that melatonin is produced by the bacteria in the gut. So there's often some dysbiosis going on as well. So it's not about the Band-Aid in the supplement form. Yeah, because although it's considered you know, a more natural option for supporting sleep, <laughs> yes, okay. anything's going to be more natural than that, um, it, it's, it is still a blank Band-Aid. Like mm. you said, it's still, not, it's still filling a gap. It's not necessarily understanding why there is that gap. Yeah, so I guess it's a short-term intervention, great, and then do the work to look at the root cause. And then you'll sleep properly. Yeah. Yeah. So the disrupted sleep quality is is definitely a sign that we mm-hmm. see as a result of elevated cortisol. Um, what else might people be experiencing or seeing when they've got elevated cortisol? Yeah, there's so much that comes to mind, but we always joke about the cortisol pouch. So I'll start there. Mm-hmm. So cortisol is this fat storage hormone due to the fact that it liberates insulin, right? So it's like you eat a lot of carbohydrates and you overproduce insulin and or you're stressed and there's more insulin in the picture again. So it's this fat storage hormone and we usually see it around the midline, that cortisol pouch area. So high cortisol can look like fat loss resistance. So people that are really working hard to burn body fat or an attempt to lose body fat and they're unable to. And then obviously if that continues, we start to see the insulin resistance picture because the body can't tolerate that chronic production of cortisol and insulin as a result. Yeah. So that looks pretty horrific long-term. And that, by the way, is why, you know, if you're, if you're following an LCHF protocol, you're taking care of your diet, you're still not losing weight, and so you stress about it. Mm. You know, you, you work harder with getting every single calorie into my fitness pal, or you weigh yourself more frequently, or you start to reduce the calories. Mm. Like that is the equal and opposite of what we want you to do because that extra stress and worry over the, the diet not doing anything to get rid of your cortisol pouch is going to perpetuate the problem. For sure. And then longer term, again, we see obesity. So we do see that in that high cortisol picture, which is the flow and effect of the, even taking the first step back is the blood sugar dysregulation, Mm. the cortisol pouch, the insulin resistance, and then the overweight and obese. And I think, yeah, like you said, it's going exactly against um, the initial health goals and probably causing a whole host of problems alongside. Yeah, precisely. I also think about high cortisol as that anxiety picture, yeah? So you're tired and wired, 
you noticed it in a high heart rate sense in training. So to our athletes, that's definitely a potential underlying cause why you cannot run at math at your MAF heart rate, maybe why you're not seeing results in that aerobic or fat adaptation realm. Um, And then for other people, that anxiety looks quite different, whether it's sweating or you're not sleeping or performance at work, um, firing off at your husband or your child. Like there's many ways it could manifest. Yeah. But also what happens is that cortisol is um, released by the adrenal glands, right? But there's also a level of progesterone that's released by the adrenal glands and progesterone is one of our like calming hormones Mm. so when you've got these elevated levels of cortisol and it's stressing the adrenal glands or taking taking attention away from the production of progesterone that Mm. it's going to further exacerbate that that anxiety picture because you're not going to have the the natural levels of that beautiful um calming hormone which is progesterone yeah the old pregnenolone steel unfortunately Mm. it's all too chronic which is why we do see the reproductive hormone issues and the amenorrhea in a chronic stress picture what we also see sort of more medium term is immune dysfunction right because cortisol suppresses the immune system we use so much vitamin c to make cortisol it's taken away from its sort of normal immune roles and then on top of that is more cortisol uh, suppressing the immune system further so we become more susceptible to cold and flus yeah Hmm. Yeah. which is why often when you've been through that stressful period and then you take the time off you know you go on holiday that's when you can crumble and start to experience or have that cold or flu manifest yeah for sure so the high cortisol picture is usually that more short to medium term Um, and you know, how you will get that diagnosed is obviously with a salivary hormone profile that is measuring those four times of the day, the six to 8am, which is the one reading 12, six and 10 PM. So do keep that in mind. So what can we do with those people that have, that are potentially already halfway there? They've started to consider their cortisol levels. They've gone to their doctor, spoken to their doctor and Mm. their doctor has requested that, that blood test reading at one point in the day. Have you ever used that figure? Do you think there is much that we can do with that, that figure? Or unfortunately, is it a matter of actually going away and doing the, the hormonal profiling, the, the well, salivary hormonal profiling at four points? Yeah, because, I mean, that reading tells you what to do at that time of the day, yeah. right? So, yeah, great. If you're at your doctor at 8 a.m. and the cortisol is high, then we can treat that and what you do at that time of the day but what we don't know is what's going on for the rest of the day day. and so as i said earlier and i say all the time you're not going to go to the path lab four times and have four vials of blood drawn it's just it's impractical and the salivary sample is also measuring what's bioavailable remember so what's actually really affecting our physiology it's not bound to proteins so yeah salivary all the way and then you can work with your practitioner to have those levels um, analyzed and then in this case we're still discussing high cortisol we can develop a treatment plan to correct those yeah Yeah. i think the other important thing for listeners to to be aware of is that if you have got that one already got that one snapshot in time of your cortisol levels it doesn't give us enough of a picture to really determine how significantly potentially your symptoms are being impacted by your adrenal output do you know what I mean? So if we've got that one reading in the morning, which is normal, for example, mm. 
we don't know what's happening over the course of the rest of the day. There could be huge dysfunction over the course of the rest of the day. Yeah. So you're not getting enough of a picture to, to either rule in or rule out um, cortisol or hormonal um, adrenal dysregulation. Yeah, exactly. So adrenal dysregulation is not having all four readings outside of the reference range, right? So you might have a normal reading in the morning and then really, really high at midday and then really, really low at 10 p.m. There's 101 different combinations of what it could look like. Um, and so that's why you need more than one reading. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. So what we start to see potentially next if we want to go there is what's happening after the high cortisol. Yeah. So one of the other... I guess readings we can see in the results is that cortisol levels start to go down. Mm, Yeah, for sure. So that's something that we see in more of a chronic picture. Um, What we might do though is talk about how we're going to treat high cortisol because it really is quite different. So we'll stay with high cortisol, talk about what we're going to do to address that um, because it's really important to acknowledge that the treatment is quite different depending on those results. Mm. So why you've got high cortisol in the first place needs to be identified. Of course, there are some general recommendations like, hello, get some sleep, but maybe you're not lacking in that area. We've got to really look at you as an individual and what's going on in your world as to what is the greatest contributing factor to that excessive production of cortisol. So, of course, we need to talk to you about your sleep, your blue light exposure, what your room looks like in terms of the level of darkness and the temperature, you know, sleep hygiene kind of tips are really, really important. But then we've got to talk to you about, you know, your caffeine intake. So clearly if you're not really into coffee, then this is not part of the treatment. But if you are drinking, you know, more than say two barista shots of coffee a day, then we've got to start to pair that back. That was two shots. Yeah. People listening. Not in Northeast, you know. I won't go there, but essentially many people need to come off coffee for a period of time to to start to really train the body to lower that chronic high cortisol. Um, Of course, we're looking at our exercise intensity. So we mentioned before that chronic high intensity exercise, that overtraining picture absolutely creates high cortisol. So we're going back to our MAF training, low to moderate intensity, probably no high intense sessions in that initial phase rebuilding or adding those back in as the body responds and you start to um, notice some of the symptoms resolve. Of course, we're looking at a diet low in refined carbohydrates and sugars with beautiful quality proteins and essential fatty acids. This is where we might be starting to look for some supplements, but of course, we'll start with the diet first. Um, Then of course, there's stress management, meditation, yoga, like there's lots of lifestyle changes that probably do sound quite foundational, but are going to be even more important in someone with adrenal dysregulation. Yeah, absolutely. And this is why we have these conversations around stress management when people first come in to to see us is because we want to understand where they're at in terms of building that house. You know, are they getting the foundations right? Because if the foundations are taken care of and that person has been practicing their their deep breathing, they're doing their five to ten minutes of meditation per day and they're eating really well, well then we've got to look at other things, you know, is there a chronic source of inflammation mm. which is contributing to that excess cortisol? Is there uh, gut dysbiosis which is causing that that cortisol is their infection 
you know, what else might be going on beyond those foundations. So understanding once we've got those foundations set, where we perhaps need to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah, I love that. So it's a sort of a journey to discover what's missing from those foundations first, fill the gaps, and then layer it from there if, if there is sort of further exploration required. Um, there are a few key nu- nutrients that we need to look at when we're talking about high cortisol. Um, we, and we might elaborate on these, Ellie, but we're looking at, you know, B vitamins, vitamin C, magnesium, and I said essential fatty acids before. Yep, you did. Um, I often talk about removing alcohol or significantly reducing alcohol mm. for a period of time because of the impact that they that might have on our B vitamin status, mm. which, you know, for a lot of people is also difficult to consider and do. But it is interesting. I'm seeing a shift in clinic of the amount of people that are drinking. Um, you know, I think less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's this a bit of a culture towards drinking mm. less these days. So do I. But I, I still, I still get those few that find it really hard to even come off alcohol for thirty days. Mm. And my relationship with alcohol is very different. I've been pregnant and breastfeeding for a while, so I'm not trying to compare myself to someone who might have you know kids running around their ankles all day. But if thirty days off alcohol is an issue, then you need to assess. Your relationship, your with, relationship alcohol. with alcohol, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not that long, and we know that leaky gut, I mean, at least in animal models, causes that leaky gut. Alcohol, alcohol causes that leaky gut. So, at least in animal models, it causes the um, increased permeability of the gut walls. So, I'm not extrapolating rats to humans yet, but we are getting there and really understanding what impact alcohol does to our gut, and it makes sense. It's a toxin. We can't we can't, we can't deny, deny that. that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and everything else that alcohol does in terms of disrupting quality of sleep, disrupting blood sugar yep. control, there's a lot of things that, that, that cause alcohol to be something to consider to remove, Yeah, if not significantly reduce. Yeah, for sure. But I love magnesium for stress. I mean, this is, again, quite foundational, but it's such a beautiful nutrient that we know we're really using up quite a lot more in times of stress. So we're literally chewing through our magnesium. So at this point, we ain't going to get enough from our dark leafy greens, cacao, nuts and seeds. So using a high quality magnesium supplement can be really, really helpful, especially toward that end of the day where we're looking for that rest and restoration, um, you know, managing stress, quality of sleep, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, Steph's passionate about something when she uses the word ain't. <laughs> I've never actually said that word ever. I was like, have well, I become Texan? I've been hanging out with Brené Brown, you know. <laughs> oh, that's right. You were there. <laughs> and the same applies to vitamin C. So I mentioned before that the production of cortisol requires vitamin C. So, of course, it's going to be used up when we're producing higher levels of cortisol. So, I mean, forever I've taken magnesium and vitamin C at night before I go to bed. I've got Ian onto it. I've done it without fail. Um, and, you know, they're fairly foundational supplements. But they can make a huge difference in periods of stress. Higher stress, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that there are also some herbs that can mm-hmm. contribute. So mm-hmm. um, I guess stepping away a little bit from the dietary side of things and nutrient-specific side of things, there are some herbs that can be used in conjunction with those. Yeah. So two that come to mind are rhodiola and licorice. We see them in some of the more adrenal blends that you can get through, like a practitioner brand like Metagenics. Um, I think they're really beautiful just to help talk to the body really, to, to really start to bring down that overproduction of cortisol. Um, and then there's Korean ginseng, which is, again, a lovely sort of more calming herb that gets you out of that fight or flight or freeze stage, which that high cortisol picture is well known as. 
yeah, really nice herbs, but also be conscious of where you're getting them from, how much you're having of them, because there's nothing worse than either, than, you know, either spending your money on something that is not going to provide a therapeutic dose of, of that herb um, or going the other way and having a dangerous amount of that. So yeah. make sure you're really looking for advice when it comes to using those herbs. Look, we just don't buy our supplements from Coles, no. okay? <laughs> just because it's on sale and it says the word adrenal on it or, you know, stress support or something like that. Like I just think we have to look at what budget we've got to spend on our supplements and prioritise and get some advice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, exactly. The money you spend on advice would be money that you spent on poor quality supplements. Mm, mm. So... Anything else that you wanted to add on the high cortisol picture? No, I think that's awesome. I think that if we've layered some of those really um, basic interventions and starting with what you think is really tipping the scale in the wrong direction in your world, but also understanding that there's more to it. You might need to do a deeper dive, looking at the gut, looking at the blood tests for inflammation, um, testing, not guessing, as always. Exactly. And that's why I, I just want to go on this little tangent. That's why the way that we practice is so important. You know, we don't have 10 minute consultations mm-hmm. with our clients because we need 30 minutes, 50 minutes to be able to gather enough information to understand what is the cause? What is the underlying cause of, in this case, the high cortisol? Because as you would have gathered just from listening to us is that there's so many things that we can do to support high cortisol levels but we, we won't give you a list of 50 things to go away and do because mm-hmm. that would be far too overwhelming so if through conversation and potentially through testing we can understand what is the primary perhaps one two or three driver for that high cortisol then we can prioritize what you go away and put into into practice and the reason I say this is because sometimes people want that analysis in an email they want a response in an email what am I going to do with my high cortisol Mm. or they expect it to be a very short discussion but I'm I'm sure you're in a similar position to me is it's just not the way that I practice because I want to have a deeper discussion to further understand what is the key driver what do our priorities need to be when it comes to treatment yeah for sure we don't analyze test results every email (laughs) Full stop. (laughs) Okay, let's move on. So we know that high cortisol is that sort of usually a more um, initial phase of the stress where at a point in time, if there's no intervention, our adrenal glands just can't keep up with that overproduction. So we start to see a resulting low cortisol. And it's, it's, you know, might be more like stage three or stage if we were to define it, but it is that low on effect. So you don't wake up with high, low cortisol. You might see it on a t- the test, but in, you know, 99 cases out of 100, there would have been high cortisol initially. It just wasn't tested at that point in time. Yeah. So what you mean is that it's not, it's, it's not, you know, Monday you had regular cortisol production and Tuesday over the course of the day, your cortisol was just suddenly low. It's over a period of time where cortisol production is 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 in excess over a period of time that's slowly going to cause the adrenal gland, glands to start to underproduce cortisol. Yeah, so they essentially lie down and have a nap. They like they literally are unable to keep up with the demands. And so it's a it's a longer term process. It takes time to get there. Correct. Yeah. So you know the high cortisol picture is like anxiety, but the low cortisol picture is like depression because you've got that basically no ability to get up and go and and be motivated and you're feeling pretty 
quite literally flat line. Yeah, the apathy. Mm, 100%. Mm. And, you know, maybe not motivated to eat well or exercise and it can feel quite depressive at times. Um, you know, in some people it's underlying for things like chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia and we see it in, yeah, that more exactly that real picture of exhaustion. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, again, because it's been longer term, we can see things like infertility issues. So that going back to what we were saying before about how stress will basically overrule your hormones and it can start with amenorrhea and then unfortunately it can really impact the fertility side of things. Yeah, progress to that. Hmm. Mm. What else do we see? Um, cravings. Like I know I said before around high cortisol looking very similar to say like high insulin, which can come from say those refined carbohydrates. But because that low cortisol picture is so much more chronic, we're really starting to see a lot more sugar and salt cravings. Um, there's just so much long-term dysregulation that our body's trying to address. Um, but really, yes, due to lots of things that started with that blood sugar control and insulin resistance picture started way back with chronic. Mm, mm. So moving on from what we might consider as signs and symptoms of low cortisol levels, a lot of the, like, a lot of the treatment is quite similar to what we might do in the high cortisol picture, but there are some key differences. Um, you and I were talking a little bit off air um, in the key differences that might come into play from a supplement standpoint, mm. particularly when it comes to herbs? Yeah, for sure. There's there's definitely some differences there around herbs. Um, I think I might have mixed up my ginseng, so you might have to forgive me. Um, so what we're seeing in that low cortisol picture is that we might need something more like a Korean ginseng, whereas in a high cortisol picture it's that Siberian or Siberian ginseng. So we probably don't need to worry about the nuances there the more the point is it's going to be a different prescription based on the picture clearly low cortisol is a lot more chronic and a lot more um probably going to be a lot more impacting on your overall health so more is going to need to be done say, like you're not going to be just yeah, yeah you're not going to just be able to reduce your coffee or take out one high intensity session like it's going to be all right let's really correct this and i imagine you know no coffee no high intensity exercise, lots of sleeps, you know, no alcohol. Like it is going to be a much more, um, for want of a better word, strict prescription because it hasn't, it happened overnight. There's a lot of work to do to rebuild from that picture. Unraveling. Yeah. Mm. And, and you think about it, if you've spent decades being that individual that is highly strung, constantly stressed, constantly on the go, um, I see a lot of women working mums mm. in this position um, that that low cortisol, like you said before, it hasn't come about overnight mm. and it's not going to be reversed overnight either. Yeah, for sure. And in, in that picture, I'd definitely be doing reproductive hormones as well, probably even in a high cortisol, but it definitely in that low cortisol picture, testing reproductive hormones, looking at progesterone, DHEA, estrogen, testosterone, getting that whole picture because you can't, you're not just treating the test, right? Of course, you're treating the person, like the symptom picture, as we always say, but also understanding the flow on effect. That test is just telling you one thing. So that adrenal graph is just telling you one thing. 
and you're probably going to need to start to collect some more data on what's happened knowing that picture is so chronic. Yeah, of course, if there's yeah low levels of estrogen, low levels of progesterone, um, we need to start to treat that at the same time mm. in order to be able to overcome some of the symptoms that that, that person is presenting with. Yeah. You know, whether it be the... Um, you know the weight gain, the um, the cortisol pouch, that sort of thing. Then those reproductive hormones are going to play a really important part in the treatment picture, yeah, for sure. And then the other obvious difference is the timeline. You know, if you're quite diligent with your treatment protocol, high cortisol can, in some cases, be corrected relatively quickly. Um, but low cortisol is going to take more time because, as we've been saying, it's a longer process to get there. So, of course it's a longer process to get back out of there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, awesome. So I think what people may have gathered from this discussion is that there's no quick fix. Mm. There is no magic pill that's going to help to normalise cortisol production and adrenal function. It really is actually just broad spectrum looking at your lifestyle, Mm. your sleeping habits, what you choose to eat, even as far as your thought processes and how you choose to perceive certain situations. Mm. Um, this is, you know, that great example of, um, well, coming back to stress perception, you know, how do you perceive a situation? You know, for some people having 60 emails in their inbox may not be stressful and it may not cause that cortisol production, but for somebody else having the 60 emails in their inbox may be stressful and may be mm. causing that cortisol to go through the roof. So, you know, even, you know, the way that you're processing your thoughts mm. is really powerful and impactful in this scenario. Definitely. And there's so much behavioural change required there like I see that in myself in the difference between Ian and I so we're like yin and yang guess which one's the highly strung one me um and how like let's say if Grace is having a little cry or a tantrum how it affects me I'm like the wound up mother and Ian like has barely even noticed and that's a reflection of definitely our personalities and our habits over the years and what's on our plate and all those variables that like, you know, I think you can definitely retrain, but it takes time. So for me, acknowledging I've definitely got some work to do there. Um, and all of us have probably got some really inbuilt habits around what causes us a stressor, which is a reflection of, you know, our journey up until this point in time. Yeah. And you and I are very similar in that respect. Um, you know, my partner is a yoga and meditation mm. teacher. Uh, it was actually just today that I was speaking to him. He had like 15 minutes to get from one location to the next. And I think Google projected about a 22 minutes oh, my worst journey. Yeah. Exactly. And I was like, are you stressed right now? Because <laughs> for me, I would, I, I would be like, my heart would be yeah. racing. My palms would probably be sweating a little bit. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I would be really stressed. And he was like, no, I don't get stressed about anything. Yeah. And yeah. It, like it shows, it shows in you know how each of us deal with stress well he doesn't really deal with it at all he doesn't have to but mm. sleep quality and right. um digestive health mm. um it's yeah it's very very interesting it is yes it is so cool but yeah that's the whole um the brain that changes itself stuff so you can the neuroplasticity you can absolutely retrain it just is a devotion like mine is not like that because of lack of practice yeah like i'm sure he does the work right and that's to be celebrated continued practice yeah and what you know what do they say five to ten minutes of meditation per day for 30 days is where you start to see see the real shift 
mm. in um, in thought processes and also cortisol production. Yeah, and then it's twenty minutes two times a day <laughs> from there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But that's awesome. So I think yeah, definitely coming back to the testing is really really important. So if especially if any of the symptoms have been a big flashing red light for you, reach out to us and we can let you know um, if we do think that the cortisol profiling is the best test for you, the best allocation of your testing budget. But if you've got any questions about today's episode, please do let us know. Um, we've been sort of collecting a lot of questions over the weeks and we'll have a Q&A episode coming up very soon. So reach out to us by Instagram or thenaturalnutritionist.com.au and we'll speak to you very soon. Thank you for your time today, Steph, and thanks everybody for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening, team. Make sure you dive into the show notes over at thenaturalnutritionist.com.au forward slash podcast. Now, before you go, can I ask you a favor? I'd be so grateful if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes. I personally read every review and comment and love hearing your aha moments and takeaways from each episode. Together, we can continue to spread the real food love. See you next time on The Real Food Real. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.